Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is local control is not a governing principle. We're coming to you again today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy from a limited government free market standpoint, or for those who need to get up to speed quickly on a specific particular issue. And so today I'm going to rant a bit about one of my favorite policy topics, what I think is a broad amount of confusion on the idea of local control. And I'm joined by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, today, who may or may not agree with everything that I have to say. So the topic today is that local control is not a governing principle. Uh, I gave a talk on this topic not too long ago, and I titled that Local Control and the Clash of Conservative Principles. At the Institute for Policy Innovation, we place a heavy emphasis on a principles-based approach to public policy, as opposed to, say, a results-based approach. Uh, In my experience, a lot of people think they're principled, but in reality, what they actually do is they operate on a results-based approach. In other words, they have a particular political or policy outcome that they want, and then they try to figure out a way to achieve that outcome, as opposed to uh, sticking to constitutional and economic principles and just sort of letting the chips fall where they may. That's how I would describe the difference between a principles-based approach and a results-based approach. But here at IPI, we try very hard to follow a principles-based approach. And again, let the decisions that people make in the marketplace, make the decisions that they make in the ballot box, and let the constitutional principles guide whatever kinds of outcomes tend to happen, whatever the market tends to deliver. And so I want to talk to you about an issue where sometimes conservatives get a little out of sync with that idea of being principle-based, and that is this issue of local control. So we had an issue here in Texas not too long ago where this conflict about local control actually sort of hit the fan. And that was in 2014 when a town here near our our IPI offices in Texas called Denton, uh, a university town, and thus uh, somewhat of a blue town in a red state, Mm -hmm. uh, voted to ban fracking within city limits because they were green and they were opposed to fracking. It was very contentious at the time. Now, the only problem with this, of course, is that in Texas – all fracking and energy policy and everything is is determined at the state level, mm-hmm. not at the local level. So we at IPI were very engaged in this issue, explaining why the fracking ban was a bad idea. And I did a, a radio interview with our local talk show host here on the Mark Davis Show about this, and, we, and Mark was saying things like this. He said, Tom, I totally agree with you that this fracking ban is a bad idea. It makes no sense. It's environmental extremism, da-da-da-da-da. But he said, but as conservatives, don't we believe the folks at the local level pretty much have the right to sort of determine for themselves what happens within their own cities and towns? Don't we really believe in local control? And my answer to that was, no, (laughs) no, we don't think that. Now, I understand that that was a jarring answer because I do think that, that 99 out of 100 people who would describe themselves as conservative do like this idea that government power should be concentrated sort of at the local lowest level possible. You even have within like Catholic theology, this doctrine of subsidiarity, which sort of says the same thing from a philosophical standpoint. 
And the argument a lot of times that people use is that the closer government is to the people, the more responsive the government is. Mm-hmm. Now, That's it, the defense of it. That is the defense of it. And when you say we want a responsive government, that sounds like a really great positive thing. But not always, because who is government responding to? And is government responding to the majority that wants to take away the rights of a minority? That sounds an awful lot like the sort of thing that our federal constitution was designed to prevent. And I'm very fond of saying when people say, don't you, don't you want a responsive government? I'm very fond of saying, no, I want a limited government. I don't want a responsive government. I want a limited government. A responsive government can respond to 50% of my neighbors ganging up on me and voting to take away my property rights or to force me to do something. So just because government is more responsive at, at the lowest possible level doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be a great idea. And if you really do believe that local control is a governing principle, then you have to operate based on that principle. And what I'm going to argue is that local control is a tool, but it's not a principle. Uh, Could we say that local control is a good idea unless there are um, constitutional powers, uh, superior governing bodies that have control over certain areas? And what I'm thinking about is like the Interstate Commerce Clause. Mm -hmm. So under the Constitution... Uh, the federal government has control over commerce that goes among states, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have control over what's happening within a state. So you have in the Constitution a preemption of state control when commerce is moving across state lines. Yeah. And so you might say we support local control unless the state preempts it and the state is a more fundamental governing body. Well, you asked, can't we at least say it? I think we can at least say that. But I think we can say more than that. I think we can say even more than that. But since you brought up the issue of like the Constitution, the Commerce Clause, let's talk about what I'm going to argue is a wrong view of the relationship between sort of like federal, state, and local governments. I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. have. I think a lot of people, and the one limitation of audio is you can't show charts, okay? But I'm going to ask our listeners to imagine in their mind, I think the way most people think about the relationships between these different levels of government is that the federal government's at the top. Right. The state is beneath the federal government. Right. And municipalities, cities and counties are below the state. I think that's a general assumption. And they they generally think that sort of like power flows like from top to bottom. Uh, It's the state's job to sort of discharge the will of the federal government. And it's the municipality's job to discharge the will of the state. Here's the problem. That chart is wrong. And if you think back around the founding of our country, the states were here first. Right. Remember Ronald Reagan in his first inaugural speech famously said, that the states created the federal government and not the other way around. So instead of envisioning in your mind a chart with the federal government at the top, state government in the middle, and municipal municipalities beneath that, the way the chart really ought to look is with the states at the top. Mm-hmm. And the states are at the top of the power pyramid. Remember, the states created the federal government. And they ceded certain powers to the federal government. This is crucial, right? The states limited the federal government. I mean, the whole Constitution is a state-written document that limits the power of the federal government. And, of course, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments reserve all other powers to the states and to the people. Mm -hmm. So it's the states who created the federal government. And so Because the states created the federal government, the states had the right to limit the federal government. Well, the states also create their own municipalities. Counties and cities. That's exactly right. And so the states can determine what authority 
cities and counties have, just like the states determined the limitations on the federal government. And it's fair to say, I get, I think that states, by and large, let cities and counties sort of run their own business unless they're doing certain things that are against the state's constitution or against state enacted laws. I think that's right. But the problem I'm going to describe, I think, is more serious than that. Uh, Just in conversations that I've had with state legislators and things like that who have thought that they literally have like almost no right to involve themselves in the affairs of cities and counties. And that's one of the mistakes I think we're trying to correct with this podcast. So, so, you know, I described a chart with the wrong view with the federal government at the top and then the state and then the municipalities. And then I described an, in, an an inversion of that where the states are at the top. The federal government maybe is, you know, down and to the right and mm-hmm. the municipalities are down and to the left. Now, that's hyperbolic. That's not exactly right because the deal that was cut between the states was essentially the federal government gets to do these things and we get to do those things. So it might be that, you know, the state is at the top and the federal government is maybe a little bit below the states mm-hmm. and over to the right. But municipalities are way down into the left. Right. Municipalities are absolutely uh, subject to the authority and the laws of the states, again, because the states create municipalities. So if you understand that that's actually the way the power relationship works between the state and the local government, we'll set aside the federal government, I think, from here on out. Um, but if you understand that's why it works, then you would understand that, yes, the states have a right to say to their cities and counties, no, you can't enact that kind of ordinance. No, you can't enact that kind of rule or whatever. But again, this flies in the face of the idea that you should we should have as much sovereignty and as much power at the local level as possible. I would rephrase that, and I would say that you have whatever power at the local level that the state decides you have, mm-hmm. and you have no more and you have no less. Now, This may seem tedious, but when we start talking about some specific examples of how this comes into play, I think people will see that this is not really tedious. So the the reason I had said that they uh, it had gone along and there wasn't that much conflict is because I think for for decades, centuries, there wasn't that much conflict. But what's beginning to what's been happening lately is that cities and counties have become, especially large cities, have become much bluer in their thinking. Mm -hmm. And so they've now said we're going to enact. We want to be progressives and we want to wear that on our sleeves as a city or county, and we want to be able to show everybody how progressive we are, and we're going to start enacting certain types of legislation at the city or county level. So I'm thinking of Charlotte, North Carolina, which said, we're going to jump in and address the LBGTQ issue, Mm -hmm. and we're going to uh, make sure that they can go to whatever bathroom they want, if I remember right. Right. And the state stepped in and said, no, we're not going to let you do that. And the state of North Carolina got a lot of pushback for that. Yes, they did. But the state of North Carolina, whether you agree or disagree with what the state of North Carolina did, it is the right of the state of North Carolina to do that if they choose to do so. And that's where, and that's specifically the confusion that we're trying to address, because there was an awful lot of people who thought that that was utterly inappropriate and wrong for the state to step in and say, no, Charlotte, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's a very good starting example of why a clear understanding of this matters. I gave a presentation uh, to a bunch of state legislators on this topic several years ago. And afterward, you know, a, a dozen or so of them came up to me afterward. And they said, you know, every time we try to do something 
to keep cities from enacting stupid things or raising taxes or whatever, they always come back to us with this local control argument, and we just throw up our hands. We have not had an answer for it before. And so that's part of why I'm personally so passionate about this. I think that state legislatures have the same obligation to protect the economic liberty and the property rights and the personal liberty of people who live in cities that they have for people who don't live in cities. We don't have munici- we don't have feudal city-states anymore. There's not a moat and a wall around Baltimore, Maryland. There's not a moat and a wall around Houston, Texas. Uh, they don't govern themselves. They are still subject to the authority and all the laws of the state of Texas. And I think this is becoming much more important, as I mentioned, as cities begin to start larger, bluer cities virtue signaling, right? saying we want to go out and we want to set these things up just to show everybody how liberal we are in our city. But they end up creating lots of problems when they're trying to do that. There's this idea somehow, and again, I think nine out of ten conservatives think this too, right? that the only possible source of tyranny is the federal government. Mm -hmm. And down at the local level, we have this something approaching direct democracy, and it works really great. Most of the nuttiest stuff that comes out politically happens at the local level. It's mayors and city councils and county councils enacting all sorts of crazy policies, uh, indoctrinating people, limiting their economic freedom, regulating their businesses. It's not coming from the federal government. It's coming from mayors and city council members. And people have thought that because of this false idea that local control is a governing principle, that that no one's allowed to step in and do anything about that. And that's incorrect. Now, we're going to give a lot of Texas examples because we're IPIs based in Texas. And so I know that we've got folks from all over the country listening to these podcasts. But these are just going to be examples of the kinds of things that happen in your states. But too. of course, some of these things have played out in other they states. Have, yes, they absolutely have. You know, every here in Texas, we only have a legislative session every two years. Mm-hmm. And every time at the beginning of the legislative session, you can count on reading some sort of an article in like the Texas Tribune about. Oh, boy, we can't wait to see the state legislature go to war with local control again. And this, there's this assumption somehow that local control is a governing principle and that the Republicans in the state legislature are assaulting the principle of local control. They're violating the principle of local control. So, again, this is another reason why we want to do this episode, to try to drive home this point that, no, they're not violating anything because local control is not a governing principle. It's a tool. It's not a governing principle. Can we mention just a little bit the hypocrisy that comes up in this? So you'll have these mayors absolutely push back against the state if a state is doing something the mayors don't want to do, especially if the mayors are virtue signaling or something. But if when the when the uh, police department's retirement fund, when they mishandle that and all of a sudden they can't pay the police or they can't pay the retirement because they've mishandled the pension issue, Mm -hmm. then they run to the state saying, please bail Bail us out. out, Please give us money to bail us out so that we can take care of this. So right now, as we record this podcast, I mean, like literally in the last few weeks, an issue has become states, it's mostly red states, but states are passing laws, at, again, at the state level. State mm-hmm. legislatures are passing laws saying things like critical race theory cannot be taught in the schools of our state, right? right? And you've got people pushing back and saying that's a violation of local control, right? It's up to the school boards what they teach. It's not up to the state. It's up to the cities what their schools teach. And they're, again, this is this false idea that local control is a governing principle. If a state wants to pass a law 
that says school districts are not allowed to include critical race theory as part of the curriculum. They are absolutely within their right to do that because the states created the cities and not the other way around. A couple of years ago, you had this issue in Austin, Texas, where they literally regulated Uber out of the city. Mm-hmm. They said Uber could not do business in the city, and it was everyone knew it was just the lobbying power of the taxi cartels and all this kind of stuff. And as soon as they got an opportunity, the state legislature of Texas passed a law that said no cities can't do that. And everybody screamed about local control. Again, this was some violation of local control. And again, I just I want to pound the table with this. Local control is not a governing principle. You can't violate it. It's a tool. It's not a governing principle. The city of Dallas passed an ordinance that said stores were not allowed to use plastic grocery bags mm-hmm. and everyone had to switch to paper. And Governor Abbott went ballistic about this, and he was right. And this, the state legislature passed a law that says cities cannot have, they can't mandate plastic bags. And again, it's the screaming about local control. I wrote an op-ed on this topic a few years ago, and I sort of predicted if we don't get our heads screwed on straight about this local control thing, you're going to find it very hard to limit the growth in property taxes. And sure enough, that is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a previous legislative session, the legislature tried very hard to slow the growth of property taxes. And again, the cities and the counties screamed bloody murder. And their, their taxpayer-supported lobbyists with the Texas Municipal League accused the state legislature of violating the principle of local control. Well, it's not a principle. I've probably said that eight or ten times now. This comes up with things like tree ordinances. It came up with, like you brought up with North Carolina, the bathroom bills. It is. It came up recently in Austin with Austin, the Austin City Council saying we're going to let homeless people right. inhabit the city. Right. And uh, Governor Abbott was pushing back on that, and as did the population. I think they ended up passing something mm-hmm. through a referendum, which uh, is limiting that. Right. But once again, it it was the city council who said we want to show how woke we are by making sure that homeless people can camp downtown and do whatever they want to. These cities, at some point, they become captured by like radical progressives okay and if you really do believe that local control is a governing principle then you can't do anything about that you're stuck okay but if you if you understand the local control is simply a tool to be used or discarded but not a governing principle then a state legislature can come in and they can rein in these out of control progressive city councils as they did with austin the fact of the matter is if the state legislature of texas decided to dissolve austin Mm -hmm. They could literally dissolve the city. They mm-hmm. could create a like a like a Washington D.C. They could create like simply a a Texas government district right around the Capitol and all the you know state buildings and things like that. They could dissolve Austin if they wanted to. And if they if if, if anyone ever suggested it, people would go nuts because of local control. But again, a tool, not a governing principle. And you know, one of the one of the, I think for uh, residents of the state of Washington and. Oregon, they wish the state had stepped in Absolutely. back during the summer of 2020 when you had the autonomous zone and riots and other things, and the mayors were involved in this, but you didn't have the state step in and say, we're, if, since the mayors aren't handling this, we're going to step in and do it. I assure you there are state legislators in Oregon who bemoan what they see happening in Portland, mm-hmm. but think they can't do anything about it because of local control. I assure you there are members who think that. The fact of the matter is, is if the state of Oregon wanted to get Portland under control, they could do it because 
Portland is not sovereign. But we treat these cities too often like they're sovereign. We treat them like they're medieval city-states, like I said earlier, with like walls and moats around them. And this gets me to sort of one of my pet theories, and I haven't really worked it out very well, but you alluded to it a few minutes ago. Cities tend to spiral downhill. They really do. And you think about some of some of the oldest cities in America are among the most dysfunctional cities in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, for all its strengths, is crime-ridden, and no one seems to be able to get a handle on it or do anything about it. And I do believe that if states could disabuse themselves of this idea that local control is a trump card, that states could play a role in preventing their major cities from going downhill. And just as a Texan, I just passionately believe that the state of Texas can prevent our major cities. We can prevent Houston and Dallas and San Antonio mm-hmm. and, and Austin, Austin. From, from becoming Philadelphia and Baltimore and Chicago. But they have to take their role seriously that they have a responsibility to protect the people who live in cities, to protect their economic rights, to protect their economic liberty, to protect their property rights, to protect their individual liberty. Now, I know that there are conservative friends out there listening to this who think that this is just some radical theory and it really doesn't make sense to them, and they think this is a mistake. So let me ask my conservative friends who don't agree with me on this, Should a city be able to use local control to exempt themselves from any limitations on abortion that are passed by the state legislature? If you're in a red state and your state legislature passes restrictions on abortion, should your major cities just be able to just exempt themselves from those regulations because of local control? If you think local control is a governing principle, then your answer would have to be yes, that your major cities could exempt themselves from state limits on abortion. There's no difference between a state limit on abortion and a state limit on plastic bag ordinances. It's the same principle. The point is that the state legislature has the power to limit the power of cities. So I'll wrap up our Policy Basics podcast on local control with an overt appeal to state legislators, and that is please become activists on this topic. Please understand that you can play a role in preventing the major cities in your state from destroying themselves with crazy policies, harmful regulations on businesses. Cities have this way of trying to drive their most productive citizens out of the city and into the suburbs, and they do it by these kinds of intrusive regulations and ordinances. The best way for our major cities to be wonderful places to live is for the state legislators to make sure that people who live in cities' rights are just as protected as people who don't live in cities. And you can find out more about IPI's views on local control and on the structure of our constitutional system at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.